Welcome into the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Brunts and BC, playing a home game today, not on the road. Well, some of us are on the road. Well, I'm at home. That's what's important. BC's always on the road. you yeah. got to get a better AD. Yeah. You're like Texas Southern, just always playing away from home. I just do it for the money, for that <laughs> for that check you give me. This is Build a, up my facilities at home. This is, this is a buy-in podcast, or a buy, buy podcast. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about Bikes. sitting across from a guy uh, wearing a beanie cap with a ball on it? You Doesn't okay bother with that? Me. I mean, you got the right colors on. It's got the right logo. I don't mind it. I'm, I'm adjusting to it, but it's fine. You, I mean, don't you have one? I do. I don't wear it because it's. I'm currently fighting with the team that's on it, but <laughs> um, I like the Vikings look. I, despite the loss last weekend, I, it's good that you're still supporting your team. I mean, that's the reason I called this podcast earlier than usual this week, is I didn't know if we needed to, to kind of get together and commiserate and work our way through that uh, terrible loss for Minnesota. Yeah, it was. It was self-inflicted wounds. I'm sh- we already made Brunt sit through that talk a little bit. So, <laughs> Well, I want to get on the record, though, um, because I, I raised the question, and there seemed to be a little bit of concern, or at least how you want this to play out, and, and please keep this short, but... The possibility of Aaron Rodgers coming back and rising from the ashes and potentially ruining this dream season for Minnesota, what's your level of of concern presently? It's pretty low right now because I just don't think it can happen, but it would be about the worst thing ever. The only thing that bothers me is the Packers are one of those like two or three teams in the NFL where even like three weeks ago when they were – what four and six or something they still get talked about on the air all the time about like oh if Aaron Rodgers come back they can make a run which is possible but it just kind of annoys me if the Vikings were in the same boat that you wouldn't hear a darn thing about the Vikings possibly making a run until it was like obvious that it could happen so what you're advocating is a northern Wisconsin national media bias (laughs) it's definitely that 100 percent uh, in agreement with what Brian said there, uh, it's it's important, and I have to remind myself this: they needed overtime to beat the winless Browns and overtime to beat the Buccaneers. So I I feel fairly confident that even if the Packers are at full strength, they're still a relatively flawed team mm-hmm. at the moment. And the Vikings have a chance to take care of business. That's all that matters. So if they, they do that, we don't have to have this conversation. I don't have to think about Aaron Rodgers. And he can go back to do what he does best, making terrible commercials on television for State Farm. Everybody loves him. He usually gets all offseason to do it because the team crash and burns in early January. <laughs> oh, and he'll have even more time this year. So I, we, we can point to this day, December 12th, whenever the season flounders and Aaron Rodgers wins a Super Bowl that is on Minnesota's home field. This I, is when it started. I had a guy tweet at me the other a few days ago, and he, he was very polite about it, but he said he had to unfollow Schaefer because <laughs> – He's a Packers fan. He's just I, like I don't blame him. I told him. I said I think Schaefer would understand. Honestly, I, I fully understand. <laughs> I get it. I'm a total jerk, but that's how I feel about the Packers. I'm honest. You got to appreciate that honesty. You you, you are, are upfront in your hatred there. It's the most liked team I think in the state of Nebraska. One time, Sports Illustrated did a poll, and 
Green Bay beat out even Kansas City and Denver as the most liked team in Nebraska. I'd be interested, like, if they made people go to the ballot box, that, what that would be. That poll also occurred, I think, after their Super Bowl season. Yeah. There, it's, so more, it's bias, kind of some more bias. Recent more Packers bias. Look at bias for shooting there. it down. I mean, I, I just, well, wasn't uh, wasn't Brett Favre like the yeah I the mean, number one athlete? Things have changed. Things have changed. But I would be intrigued by that vote about which is the most popular NFL team. I think it's the Chiefs by far. Gross. But it's also just <laughs> the this part of the state that we live in too. Yeah. I mean, out west, the Broncos have a lot of support. I know that. It's probably the Chiefs. Packers would be close though. I think you'd be. No, they'd give them a run. There's, there's a lot there's of Packers pockets fans. of Bears fans too around here too, and Vikings fans. There's a few of us. Do we Most, want to stick with the NFL? No, I mean we're, on we're, this we're four, Carson Wentz injury. We're four and a half minutes into this thing. I think we should probably <laughs> pivot to Nebraska at some point. <laughs> there hasn't been anything going on. What what has been going on? Uh, Nebraska has three new commitments to its class. Uh, three visitors from this past weekend have already said yes. Several others still out there could potentially end up in the class. Those commitments being, uh, we'll work backwards a little bit, Justin McGriff, a three-star tight end Y receiver from Tampa, former UCF commitment. And you have Jerron Woodyard a three-star junior college wide receiver out of Arizona Western, previously the D.C. suburb area for him. And then C.J. Smith, a four-star safety from West Palm Beach. So a pretty pretty nice haul early off of a, a pretty interesting visit weekend when you look at what they had in and what they were targeting. And there's a chance there's still at least a couple more people that could say yes uh, by the time this whole thing is over just off that weekend alone. Of those three guys, who is the most intriguing and um, biggest get out of out of that group, do you think, for the table? The biggest get because they're going to lose their wide receiver commits. They lost Joshua Moore already on Sunday, and they're going to lose Cameron Brown. Is Jerron Woodyard because they need wide receivers. They're, they – and he's someone that, if the academics are taken care of, can sign in December and roll in January, be here in the spring, help early. I mean, I, I think that he's short-term, the the biggest of those. The guy I'm probably most intrigued by is C.J. Smith because to hear some of the people down in Florida talk about him, the guy's just an absolute ball hawk uh, in, in the, the defensive backfield. And people were describing him the way they would – Ed Reed can sit back and play center field, closes really well when the ball's in the air, has really good instincts, good at baiting safety or baiting quarterbacks into throwing deep balls, uh, great recovery skills. I mean, everything sounds really, really good about that. Nebraska hasn't had a whole lot of safeties that fit that description, so that would be kind of interesting to me. I thought it's a wide receiver, mostly because of the Juco connection. I'm I'm just – fascinated by Nebraska getting back into the business of having some Juco guys. And I've said this a couple of times this week. I know some people have reservations about Juco guys because they see it as this big gamble and, and stuff like that. I look at any recruit as a gamble and you could make an argument that if with a Juco guy, if he comes here and flames out, he's only on your watch for two years and uh, doesn't take up your scholarship count for four or five like some guys who 
um, come here and you realize two years in, they're not going to contribute at all. And then you're, you're kind of stuck with them for two or three years. So I have no problem with picking your spots with those junior college guys. And especially when you've got a guy on staff, you know, like Ryan held, for example, who made his way up the coaching ranks through junior college, has those connections, understands where to go and, and what players can make a difference coming out of those ranks. I, I think it's just a natural fit, especially right now where you're kind of trying to patch up some holes. It, the the point about kind of the roster turnover, I think is important too. I mean, cause like you said, I mean, if you don't have guys going to the NFL early, uh, like Ohio state does, uh, you don't have guys who are transferring out, um, which you probably don't want to see. Um, I think it is important. And in a place like Nebraska, too, where you, you need to find talents nearby that can help you somewhat quickly, it's a pretty obvious thing. And, and Ryan Held, you want to talk about a guy that's put on some miles. Um, you know, he was in just yesterday, was in Texas to start the morning, ends the day in San Francisco. He's been in Arizona. He's been in Kansas. Uh, he's been all over the place um, making offers, seeing guys and just really kind of grinding. Um, I, I think he's going to be a real key cog, not only as a, just a hard worker, but just his connections in the junior college ranks going forward. Because, you know, the, I, I think there's some truth to what Mike Riley had said about you know, be, basically being encouraged to maybe not recruit JUCO guys if they could, um, if they could help it. I, I think they also kind of made the choice that they were going to build around guys that they could develop in the program and bring up that way. But I, I think you have to you know, get three or four JUCO guys a year at Nebraska because, you know, it's not ever going to be like Bill Callahan and when he, you know, has half the class be junior college guys, but you need that infusion of talent and especially uh, with this class, uh, offensive tackle on defense and then at those wide receiver spots. So how many do you guys think they end up taking in this class from the junior college realm? Because – they're going to get – they've already had two visits in a running back and a receiver. They want to get an offensive tackle on campus, whether that happens or not, we don't know. They wanted to get a junior college cornerback on campus, whether that happens or not, we don't know. They want to get a junior college linebacker on campus. They're going to have a defensive end coming in. Um, how many How many do you think could end up in this class by the time is all said and done? And we don't even know what January is going to look like. I mean, they're – they're only focused right now on junior college guys that are going to be signing and enrolling early. There's going to be a whole nother run on junior college guys in the January recruiting period. Even though they can't come in early, they can still help your program out. I, I could see four. I mean, I, I think that, you know, you've got one in the class already. You had uh, Woodridge's teammate visit as well. Um, blanking on the first name, but um, Greg Bell. Greg Bell um, visited. I, I think Nebraska's trending pretty well for him right now as a, an early enrollee. You've got Will Honus, a, a linebacker, visiting this weekend from Butler Community College, uh, who's basically down to a, a final three of K State, Iowa, and, and Nebraska. And and like you said, I mean, they're going to take a junior college offensive tackle. They're going to have that kind of next wave of juco guys so i i think absolutely it's probably safe to say three for sure and even as many as four and i have no problem with that right now especially as trying to get just a few guys who can you can use as a bridge basically and then you can i mean after this class is over i think you sit down and you decide okay what what's our 
what's the strategy in a normal cycle? You know, how many do you really want to take? But right, right now, you know, you, you've got to operate a little bit differently, I think. And, and you've also got to just look at, okay, who are guys that for one or two years, while we're trying to get this thing off the ground, we could, we could plug him in there, hope he takes off and, you know, maybe win a few more games as you recruit more long-term guys that can, can be there for four or five years. Yeah, and, and I think Brunson's point earlier, I think they're always going to be involved in the junior college market because I think that that's the success they had at UCF. They've got connections with Ryan Held. They've got connections beyond Ryan Held, too. I mean, Scott Strohmeyer over at Iowa Western has a very good relationship with Scott Frost. That's going to be a place that even if they don't get anybody this year, is certainly going to be one where Nebraska is going to be kicking tires around for a while. And then you have the the whole Jayhawk conference. I mean, it, it doesn't really stop. And uh, the thing I have with, with the junior college recruiting is I feel like you've got to have good evaluations on it. Like it can't just be, oh, this guy fits the prototype and he's a junior college guy, so he's a little more advanced. So he'll definitely be able to help out. Um, and I a lot of times, I mean, that's kind of what you hear from, from fans is, Oh, well, just go get a junior college guy and it'll work. And and the the point that they go through the system is is definitely true, but that scholarship is still being used when it could be given to, to somebody else that maybe has a little bit more potential or, or whatever. So I, I think that with junior college, you got to have a, a pretty good evaluation set. But the thing is, I mean, we've seen with the staff, several of their best players down at Central Florida, including Mike Hughes, um, was a was a junior college guy. I mean, he came on campus in August and is 100% the reason that they're undefeated right now. I mean, among other things, they, they wouldn't be able to do it without him. He had massive kick returns. He's intercepted a number of passes. Uh, I believe he had the, the game-winning return against um, South Florida on Black Friday. So they, they know how to, to recruit, and I think that's a big thing is they've got the right people that can evaluate it and – and have the connections amongst the community of those coaches to basically be like, look, I mean, don't sell me the guy that everybody's after. Tell me who I'm missing. Yeah, I well, think that's the big thing. And I think too, you, you're the larger point too is, I mean, you, guys are in junior college for a reason. Like, it might be grades. It, it might be that they were overlooked. They had an injury in their senior year. Uh, maybe they got in some trouble. I mean, I, I think that you know, for every Levante David, there's also a you know, a, a trail clink scales or somebody like that who just never makes just it. never makes it or doesn't fit in well or doesn't transition well. I mean, the, Joe Keels. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not necessarily just a, a plug and go kind of thing. I mean, even as an example, I mean, Byerson Cockrell was a guy who had like two offers, comes in and ends up starting at Nebraska and playing pretty well. Um, it, those are the kinds of guys that I, I think you find pretty easily at, in the junior college ranks. Uh, and, and I mean, having those connections to really, like you said, get the, the, the guys that are either overlooked or the stories, uh, behind guys to avoid too. Um, I, I think that's really key there. Well, most people listening have probably watched the, the Netflix series. What's it, what's it called? Last chance you. Yeah. I've actually never watched it. Yeah. I mean, is, is if it, it, good? It, it is good. And, uh, and anybody who's watched it sees exactly <laughs> the risk involved. Um, because there's yeah there's a lot of kids there who, who don't want to put in the academic work, and that's why they're there. Well, I can promise you guys, 
and I don't know, I feel like maybe you've been to a few places. I don't know if you have either, but when you stop in at Fort Scott Community College, you're not seeing what looks much more than a middle school. Oh, yeah. They practice on the same field that their rodeo team uses. Uh, I mean, like the, the facilities at these – one of the coaches I spoke with there, he had to go and get his mattress off the floor so that he could put a chair in for me to sit and talk to him at his desk. I mean, we're, we're not talking about amazing facilities. And so – for a lot of people, I think that series is probably somewhat of an eye-opener. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, this is not a pristine environment. This is pretty gritty, you know, It's stuff. cutthroat, too. I mean, like, oh, yeah. guys like Yo- Yoshi Hardrick, I remember used to talk about, you know, they, they get to school there and they they think, okay, I'm on the team. And in that case, they found out they still had to, like, kind of try out still. And there's, like, 100 guys trying to win 10 spots yeah. to keep to keep their football careers alive. And in some – in some matters, it's more serious than that. They're tr- hoping to get this for to go to college. You know, that's the only way. And so it's it is just a fascinating world. Well, one of the other guys that committed, not a junior college guy, Justin McGriff. We haven't talked about him yet. He's he's interesting for a couple different reasons, and maybe the one that jumps out to me the most. Does it mean anything for for Cameron Jurgens, or do they just see a guy with Justin McGriff that Nebraska doesn't have on its roster? Um, or do they see a talent that it basically felt was too good to let go that they, they already had at UCF. I mean, they, they handpicked them. This wasn't someone new that they couldn't get there. This was somebody that they already had. They had already beaten other people out for, already had a great relationship with and wanted him to come along on the ride. When you look at Justin McGriff and you look at the position that he plays, I mean, they didn't really need to take two tight ends in this class, and you have Cameron Juergens already. Do you think it's a – a backup plan in case Jurgens goes elsewhere. Do you think it's this guy's really good and he can compliment Jurgens? Do you think this is a signal to the type of tight ends that they're going to be looking at? Am I am I reading way too much into any of it? I think the way I kind of looked at that commitment was, you know, Nebraska's wide receiver core right now, and I, I look at him more as kind of a, a big-bodied wide receiver and less of a tight end. So I when I kind of saw his film and kind of what he can do I don't necessarily see it being tied to Cameron Juergens because I think they both kind of play different styles of football I, I oh, think yeah they, they definitely do I, I think that uh you know for what they want to do offensively I think he makes sense because they this offense is all about creating mismatches and you want a a guy in that offense who can go over the middle can make plays there uh, can run past linebackers. I mean, I, I guess what I'm describing is more of an athletic tight end, but I, I think what they see with him too is a guy with a really projectable frame, a guy that you can add some weight to, and a guy that isn't maxed out by any means. I, I think this is more of a long view type commit where this is a guy that's really going to be able to, to develop uh, into a pretty good athlete. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think Jurgens is going to have a place – no matter what, in Nebraska's recruiting class and in that offense, or you know, maybe they see him better on defense, I don't know yet. But I, I think that McGriff was definitely a guy, though, that you, you would put in kind of that under-recruited column that they really felt like they'd kind of stolen out of Florida. Well, and I think also, going back to what Schaefer said, I mean, you, you spent some time on this guy. 
Yeah, I mean, if if you've if you've worked on it, a lot of what's going on right now is these are guys they've already worked on for months and months and months. You build up those relationships. You're in a pinch, and this is a versatile guy that can fit a lot of different things in your offense. So it, it just makes too much sense to me. And uh, I don't know. It, it, it's the stuff I saw on on film. I can see why they want him. I mean, I, I know he's a he's a three star, but they. They uh, have done a lot of evaluating on this guy and, and feel good about him. I'm, I'm, one question that I keep kind of people are asking me, especially talking about recruiting and the early going, have you guys been impressed or what have you kind of made of the way that Nebraska's started over the last week or so? Because I think the last time we recorded, they were just kind of starting to get rolling. But with the, the type of organization they've shown, the offers that they've made and the guys that they've brought in already, it wasn't like they were completely flying blind whenever they walked off the field uh, in Orlando after that title game. Yeah, I mean, when someone like Woodyard tells you that Frost had mentioned to him, if we take another job, we're bringing you with us, it tells me that they had a pretty strong indication of what they wanted to do if they were going to end up at another place, and that place likely being Nebraska. And so I, I think that they had a plan to attack these this first week um they i think that plan worked really well i mean you got three commitments you had a bunch of offers go out you got some excitement you definitely had a 48 hour period of buzz from the moment that game ended at with central florida winning to you know tuesday morning the, the second day that you know of frost era really and they they really capitalized on a lot of that stuff and whether it was the offers to somebody like Adrian Martinez, who's getting a phone call from a coach who just won his conference championship, is leaving to go home to start anew at this program where he's trying to restore it to glory and you're Adrian Martinez and you're committed to a school that isn't just the abyss of a coaching search and Scott Frost is offering you a, a branch to pull you out of the, this whole thing. I mean, they did a really smart job in who they targeted uh, and, and how they did it. I'm going to be very curious what it looks like this week um, with the coaching staff down in Florida, uh, how much they're out, where they're going, who they're trying to talk to. I think that it's probably a really good time for them to start doing a lot of 2019, 2020 stuff. And I think you're going to see more of that, maybe more so than the 2018 targets. But uh, I'll be curious, you know, how they, they handle – what they have going on with their responsibilities to, to help coach UCF and what they're doing in Florida. But I, I think you have to be impressed with the initial surge in that plan. And then if you're like me, you take it forward, you're immediately curious what this is going to look like for January because you get the feeling that they're going to have another rollout of some sort uh, when they, they get back on the road in January and are really hitting it hard. And they don't have the whole UCF thing hanging over their head. Because I think that does exist. I mean, there's you're going to be pulled in a lot of different directions. Your focus is going to be a little bit different. I think in January they're going to be entirely different on the road than they were in December. The initial surge also suggests to me that these guys can multitask pretty well. You know, I mean, there's so much talk now about oh should they be coaching in this game or not and that's a fair conversation to have but the way they attacked it that first weekend tells you that well Scott Frost and the staff were getting ready for Central Florida to play Memphis they were also plotting exactly how they're going to attack at Nebraska right when the final 
gun sounds basically. So they were they've already in a way been through what they're going to do now for this bowl game in the fact that they're thinking about two things at once. I mean, that's been going on. It's already been going on. So um, it's not an ideal situation. I do think Frost made a good point today, though, at the Peach Bowl conference about um, just how if, if you're the coach of any team right now, you're going to have to go out and recruit, and then you're going to have to go do the game stuff and, and, and do both anyway, even even if – you know, you're not in the situation these guys are in. It's a peculiar situation for them because of two schools are involved. But in many ways, it's the same setup that a lot of coaches are dealing with that just have to worry about one school. Like if anything, I, I think the the types of schools that would be penalized are programs like Oregon who are playing an early bowl game because you're having to do bowl prep while you can still be making visits, uh, being in home. Um, so it, I, I agree. Like, I, I think in some ways the fact that they're really not even going to start prepping for that bowl game until after the dead period starts, I think, you know, bodes pretty well for central Florida and Scott Frost. If you guys think back to when Nebraska has done this, though, I know I, I understand where Frost is going with it, but that's not a completely accurate comment because almost every time, that Nebraska was running bowl practices and recruiting at the same time. They had two coaches back and the rest of the coaches were on the road. You had Ross Ells back and Mark Phillip was involved and you have your whole freaking compartment of football interns. Uh, When Polini was doing it, I mean, Brendan Stye was running your offensive line stuff. So, I I mean, it's it's true in the sense that, yes, there's people involved, but there was still six or seven coaches on the road. It, it doesn't – ultimately, they're going to do it how they are. They've gotten some commitments from their first weekend. The important thing is they have visits lined up for their second weekend. Frost is going to be on the road this week. We already know that to be the case. Uh, they'll get through it. Nebraska fans will get through it. Everybody will get through it. My complaints aside, all managed to survive. Uh, so I, I think that it's it, – it has been discussed a lot. Ultimately – it probably isn't going to cost them any one player's commitment, if we're being entirely honest about it. And, I mean, the good thing is Scott Frost is coming from Central Florida. He's not coming from some middle school. Middle, so, middle Tennessee yeah, State. He's like, I mean, he's around, like, a lot of the guys that he wants to recruit. So he goes coach practice in the day, and then you get in, you know, and you're pretty close to the guys you want to go see, actually. so And it looked like – you guys would know better than I would, but it looked like there was a pretty good strategy this last week about getting to other spots that weren't Florida yep. setting up for this week where mm-hmm. they can just go around in the state they're in. And so I, I think that's all been mapped out. You, you mentioned one kind of their planning and especially kind of hitting the ground running. I mean, you mentioned Adrian Martinez being one. One guy locally that's also in that boat is Bryson Williams. You've talked to him a couple times after he's been visited by Scott Frost and assistants, what what do you kind of make of where that stands? Well, he's he's got an open ear to him, and I don't think he would have that for many places because he does really like Wisconsin. I've always thought it was going to be a difficult flip um, because of the fact that he didn't grow up here, and he, he's just a different kid, and I mean that in a complimentary way. He's very he's very sharp. Um, and I think his parents are very supportive of him going to Wisconsin if that's his choice. But, you know, 
it's a good sign when he's uh, talking about how the defensive line coach Mike Dawson just feels really how he appreciates how real he is, and he's already calling him Coach Mike, and just like little things like that, you kind of pick up on that obviously make it that he's he's got a serious decision on his hands. I think Nebraska has definitely brought it right to him. If you know, I, the, he realized he wasn't necessarily wanted with the last staff, and you probably have to get over some hurt feelings with that. But once you do and you realize this is a completely new group of coaches, you don't hold it against the university they represent. You just say, well, these are new people and they want me. That That's pretty exciting when I've been visited twice by all the main coaches. And he said – he stressed one of the things is he feels like he can contact all those guys, like all the way up to Frost. Like he can get in touch with them real easily. And so that connection is wide open, and that I think has impressed him. Yeah, it's going to be interesting how that thing plays out. And if it plays out here in, what, a week or a little more than a week? Because I think he was intending to sign on December 20th with Wisconsin. I don't think he's an early enrollee. Mm -hmm. He is? He was. Yeah, so then if he's signing and enrolling, that's that's a really quick decision. For, for him one, to have to make. One thing he did say, and this matters, is, I mean, he before he got visited this weekend by Chenander and Dawson, he was up in Wisconsin, and he got a chance kind of for the first time to meet the guys in that recruiting class for Wisconsin, and he really hit it off with them. And you know how that matters. Sometimes that peer, that feeling like I – I can see myself being friends with those guys. I mean, we get we talk about all the football stuff, but sometimes it just comes back to you're getting ready as a kid to go to college and who do I want to be around? And he's got a connection with some of those guys at Wisconsin because they group text all the time. And so you can't stuff like that. We don't talk about much, but that, that matters. Yeah. And I I think Paul Christ is still slated to come through this week. So that'll be something to keep an eye on as well. You might see him at your Walgreens buying a hat, maybe (laughs) add to his collection. (laughs) Paul Christ hat humor. <laughs> I mean, I'm like going to go to that well yeah. all the he time. He will drop the bucket down that well every time he can. You think Paul Christ would just come over and knock on my door and tell me to stop being an <laughs> asshole? <laughs> he like, might do it. And then offer to clean your gutters out for you? Probably. He seems like a nice guy. Yeah. Despite my my shots at him at literally every opportunity. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's been quite a bit going on recruiting-wise. Brunts, when you look at the visit list for this weekend – any of those guys jump out to you as uh, you know people you'd like to to really kind of discuss a little bit here? Well, I think the Will Honus, the the junior college uh, linebacker out of Butler, is is pretty intriguing. Uh, he's a Wichita native. Uh, like I said before, Iowa, Kansas State, Nebraska are pretty much his group. Had been kind of seen as an Iowa lean. And I think Nebraska has done a pretty nice job of getting in there and, and kind of selling him on the opportunity in Lincoln. Um, you know, it's always fun when you have one of those prospects where you fire up their, especially on the defensive side of the ball, where you fire up their huddle film and it's just like six minutes of them just absolutely crushing guys. Because, mm. um, I, I don't know, it, <laughs> it, it breaks through the minutia. Is it more fun than when was you it? get the offensive lineman who just, pancake somebody on every play yeah it's i mean those are both you know pretty fun what kind of music was it set to uh 
I actually don't listen to it with the music on. Yeah, I, it on mute I, I can't do it. <laughs> you can't deal with that. No. Um, Some of it is the ads that pop up before the video will play. Yeah. I just don't want to listen to the same Skechers ad with uh, Matt Kuchar and <laughs> the professional golfers. I I, th- I think that he's intriguing just because I, I think Nebraska needs help uh, at that linebacker spot. Um, you know, the other junior college guy coming in this weekend, Jordan Allen, out of City College of San Francisco. Do you but, guys bond a little bit? I mean, you you both know the area. Uh, I, I did watch a lot of Robert Sally games at uh, City College of San Francisco way back when, Robert so I, I know the area well. Jordan Allen, though, 6'5", 240. Um, Nebraska's in his final five. He's another guy who's going to be enrolling early. Could be kind of provide that speed off the edge, I think. I mean, when you – Bob Diaco's defense aside, I think that's one area where Nebraska needs to get better is just having a guy that on third down can get to the quarterback and not have to scheme something up. So uh, Nebraska, the the previous staff had shown some interest in him but hadn't offered. Uh, Current staff has really kind of gotten in there. And and just based on his final five, I mean, he looks like a guy that's going to end up going away from home probably. I mean, it's Colorado, Nebraska, Michigan State, uh, Arizona State. Uh, for his services, so and TCU, I believe, as well. So, you know, the distance isn't going to be a factor. I, I think definitely playing time is going to be a factor there. So, uh, you know, when we we're talking about maybe getting to three or four junior college guys, I mean, th- those are two pretty key pieces on defense that Nebraska could potentially add. Yeah, yeah I mean, one oh, sorry, Brian. Go ahead. One of the, the guys that we have coming in this weekend um, is going to be Tate Wildeman. And that's a big official visit for Nebraska. He's recently re-rated by, I think, everybody. But um, at, at 24-7 sports, he's nearly in the the top 247. That's how big of a jump he made. And I think that uh, – and I can't speak for Brian because he wasn't part of the team yet. But I think in the spring when he committed, both you and I had thought that this was going to be like a senior film once 24-7 sports really got a chance to reevaluate him. There's almost no way this guy wasn't getting a – a pretty drastic bump, and uh, he's just a, he's a very talented player. Probably the most vocal of all of Nebraska's commits about Scott Frost. So I think this is a big weekend for him. I have no hesitation that they're going to lock him down. That he's going to sign uh, on December twentieth. I think that's a big get for the Huskers. Um, I mean, you're talking about a six six, two hundred forty five pound guy that's going to be built into being one of your defensive ends, who's just going to try to hold down a side of the field. And I, I love the way the, the kid plays. I don't think he's going to be like a superstar, but he's just going to be such a solid player uh, that he you're, you're never really going to worry about him. He kind of strikes me as one of those guys that, you know, if he ended up at Iowa or Wisconsin, who would just frustrate the heck out of opponents for like <laughs> two or three years. And you just be like, where did, where did this guy come from? And, and why is he just dominating? So I, I agree. I mean, I, the the program that he comes from in the, in the Denver area is not kind of one of the typical powerhouses in the area. And, uh, you know, getting him to, to stick in that class would be a huge win because Bob Diaco was a big part of his recruitment. John Perella became a bigger part of his recruitment. I mean, his dad played collegiately at Iowa. So if you can keep him in the mix, I mean, that, that that's – it doesn't count as a new commitment, yeah. but I think it's a big one. His dad played with Diaco, right? Yeah, at Iowa. Yep. Yeah, that's uh, 
I mean, considering that storyline, that's not usually a kid you would hang on to in a situation like this. It's it, it's a, it's a fascinating weekend beyond just the visitors with, you know, the Nebraska-Kansas basketball game, and I'm sure they're going to take those kids over there, and it'll be a big spectacle, and they're going to see this fan base and how passionate they are. I mean, it's, it's a good opportunity for the coaching staff here. Yeah, and uh, we're going to confirm probably another few visitors. There's Slider making his first appearance on the podcast, uh, checking in to see when we'll be talking about basketball so he can tune it out. He's a good dog. He did hear Brian say basketball. He did. He, he did perk up a little bit. Was that it? Yeah. Was that a code word? Uh, he, he barked a few times last year when basketball was brought up. So okay. we, we just assume he – That's why we have a two-minute time limit because yeah. – that's about all Slider handles with Nebraska basketball. <laughs> Just loses his little mind about it. <laughs> but I, I think there's going to be a few more names added to this list. We've got four plus Will Honus makes it five. Cameron Jones, JV on Hawkins, the two we haven't really talked about much. We've got plenty of stuff on both on the website for those of you uh, at Nebraska.247sports.com. You can check that out. And there's still going to be a few more people. Daniel Carson was originally on the list. He got an in-home visit from Nebraska last night. Definitely keep an eye on that. That's another defensive end that's built very, very similar to uh, Tate Wildeman that I think it would just be a terrific get for, for Nebraska's staff. So he's wanting to come in in January now. He had a good in-home. He was kind of being coy a little bit about what he was saying, but he did say that everything that he had heard about Scott Frost stood up in that in-home to be true, and so he was very happy about that. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, we're going to have no shortage of, of recruiting stuff here the next couple of weeks with the signing period and it'll slow down a little bit for the holidays and then pick way back up in January. So get excited about that. Is it hoops time? Do it we might be hoops? hoops time. Uh, so Nebraska in the midst of uh, finals right now and, and finishing off its tough stretch of games here with Kansas coming up on Saturday, which you already mentioned, uh, a Kansas team coming in with two straight losses. Um, so, there, there's probably two schools of thoughts there where they're going to be they, they look vulnerable mad. or Bill Self is just going to be running them ragged for a week just you know Dr. Strangelove style just showing yeah. them Nebraska basketball highlights <laughs> I like get, getting them ready to go I like the reference um, let's go back a little bit uh, Minnesota Nebraska comes in and plays a pretty darn complete game against a ranked foe at home uh, what were your guys' takes on that game? Well, we were talking about it off air a little bit. I think a big part of Nebraska's success is when the refs let them play. I mean, and the refs in that game, there was a kind of weird technical foul situation Husker fans didn't like near the end. But aside from that, I, I liked how the game was officiated where it just had kind of a free flow to it. When guys went up to block a shot, we didn't, we didn't have a whistle if a guy breathed on somebody and, um, you let Nebraska play defense like that. I think they talked about it in the post game. I think they realized how good they can be when they really lock in on that end of the court, you know. And sometimes guys need a game like that defensively where they see, okay, that's how it's supposed to be done. Um, but yeah, I hadn't seen a Nebraska team play as <laughs> complete a basketball game since what? They beat Michigan State a couple years ago at PBA. I remember that game where it felt like everything went right. This was about that was about the last time I thought Nebraska played a game like that. Yeah it it was a it was a nice win. Uh, one of the things that jumped out to me was how well Glenn Watson played in that game. Yes, I mean it's just a 
the guy when he's on Nebraska looks like an entirely different team. It makes your offense look so much better. He's got that quick crossover jump shot that he's willing to take just about anywhere on the court. And when that thing is, is flying and going in, Nebraska's offense looks better, plays better, responds better. I mean, he's definitely the leader of that team. And you saw when they played Creighton, he didn't have as strong of a game, and they would struggle offensively. I mean, and, and it's just – it's no secret. if They go as Glenn goes when these big games. I mean, when he shows up, Nebraska tends to hang around against teams that they can't – you wouldn't guess that they would, would play well. I, I look at that UCLA game a few years ago – or last year – and he, what, put in 30-some points that game? Iowa, you know, at home last year during the holidays. Another huge game for him. But then you turn around, they have Northwestern at home. They have him on the ropes. They have a big lead. And he had, I think, six points. So he's just a – he's so up and down that if they can just get him at that consistent level and you get the Copeland and the Palmer and those contributions, they can be a pretty good team in what is not a very good Big Ten. I mean, this is a – a very good opportunity, I think, for Tim Miles. Uh, once they get past this game against Kansas, that schedule opens way up. Yeah, the the thing about Glenn that's interesting, and you, you mentioned the Northwestern game last year, and I, I think that that was the really the first time where you could see a team really find the recipe for really taking Glenn Watson out of a game. Um, and, and you saw it again against Creighton. He, he really struggles with length on the perimeter, and, and physical defending. Kyrie, Kyrie Thomas did that um, against him with, with Creighton where he, you could really tell that he was kind of out of sorts even though Thomas was in foul trouble a little bit. But when he went to the bench, Watson kind of started started to get it going a little bit. And it was the same thing against Northwestern. They had good guard play, really took him out of the game. Uh, St. John's did the same thing a little bit as well uh, earlier this year. And I, I think, you know, statistically it bears this out that Basically, when Glenn Watson is playing well, Nebraska's got a damn good chance to win a game, and when he's not, they're going to really struggle to win. So, I mean, it's more complicated than that, but it's a pretty strong correlation between winning and losing and how Glenn Watson plays. Um, I I thought in that Creighton game, you know, we we were talking about it before. I mean, I don't necessarily agree that there is a moral victory. I I think the one thing that Nebraska can... That's what you were saying before. I think what Nebraska can take from that game, though, is there were a lot of moments, in that, especially in that first half, where Nebraska teams in the past would have totally turtled and and just gone in their shell. Like That's why you have those games where Nebraska's down double digits at the second media timeout. I thought they, they traded punches with Creighton. Obviously, this Creighton team isn't as good as the ones that they've played in the past, not even close. But I think this is a pretty good Creighton team, though. I, I think th- they're a tournament team. I think they'll be okay. I mean, I I, I think they're flawed. I mean, they, they had... Well, they don't have big men. Right. And I, I think that they had enough guys injured and guys in foul trouble in that game where I think Nebraska really had a chance to steal that game and, and couldn't close it out. I mean, you're up eight points early in the second half. But... I think Nebraska may have learned a little bit about itself that by putting itself in that position to win in a, in a pretty hostile environment, and frankly, probably one of the, the tougher environments they'll play the rest of the way. Wow. I, I think that. Wow. I think that that's, that's you can grow Look from the that. Omaha it's, boy giving praise to an Omaha crowd. I mean, it's, it's no Millard crowd. Omaha. But huh? uh, let, let's be honest, it's a tough place to play. So. I don't know. Um, <laughs> 
I don't know. I, I just I, th- I think that you can you can build on that even though it was a loss, and and probably felt like they missed an opportunity to win that game. They've already so they've already played at Creighton. They've already played at Michigan State. I mean, they've got some of the yeah, that's some of the toughest stuff they're gonna see. I, I believe the they still have to go to Minnesota. They still have to go to Purdue. Um, those are probably the the two yeah. toughest ones road games left on their schedule, at least from in, in environment. In, in environment, yeah, right. sure. But I, my thing with Nebraska, and this will tell me all I pretty much need to know about this team, are they going to take care of the bad Big Ten teams? That's kind of always been the thing when they're average like this to above average. Are they going to take Wisconsin or are they going to beat them? Are they going to beat you know Penn State? Are they going to beat Iowa? These teams that are just not good, are they actually going to take care of business? I mean, last year they had the best start that you could imagine. And they let Ohio State and Rutgers beat them in back-to-back games that they had no business losing. Um, I know we're way, way down the the schedule line right now, and in Kansas is what's coming in, and I don't think Nebraska has a great shot at that game. But I am really curious to see what version of them shows up, and if if it's the trading punches version, if they can give Kansas a little bit of scare. Uh, I, I know the the building's going to be ready for the environment. It's been kind of a sleepy, um, sleepy year. I don't know what it looked like on Tuesday. I wasn't at the Minnesota game. I mean, that was a good crowd. Yeah, it was. It was certainly the for an eight o'clock tip on a Tuesday night. Yeah, I mean that, and, and Nebraska gave them reason to be. That's the whole point. I mean, like five minutes into the game, the f- fans could tell. Okay, this this team is giving all out effort on both sides of the court. Um, I'm going to get into it too, and and they did and. Um, so yeah, th- that's what they got to establish that early against Kansas. They got to come out of the gate and it, they can't be down. <laughs> I was one time at a Nebraska, Kansas game. You guys are probably there at the Devaney where it was like 43, 43 to, to eight or yeah. something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not expecting anything like that, but I got in line at noon that day. <laughs> yeah. I covered a, 40. it was a big Monday game. Yeah, it Co- was. I covered a 40 point loss at Kansas that Nebraska was involved. I covered with. two of those bad boys <laughs> at Fox. It's a trade war stories at a darkened bar here. Were you the one covering the game when they played uh, Kansas and it came down to Corey Sims taking a three-pointer for the win? Uh, I was not covering that one, but I do recall that game quite vividly. I've never been so mad about a final <laughs> possession. How you give it to a guy who, one, has no business being on the court for you. In a, he got a good look, though. Uh, yeah, he got a great <laughs> look, but he's the worst shooter on your team. Yeah. It's terrible. Like, what was he doing out there? It's pretty remarkable. Like, if you went back and looked at the offers that Corey Sims had out of college, um, everybody wanted Bruce Bowen at the time. He was a fine defensive player. <laughs> Worked our way to Corey Sims. Yeah. Slider. Slider. He just got up. Slider just came back. He, he came wants, over. He was like, he "What are you guys doing? More, Stop. More, Stop it." More or less, Corey Sims talk slider. <laughs> <laughs> Huh? Anything else? I I'm, I just think that this is going to be a game where, like Brian said, where Nebraska is going to need to ride the wave of the crowd a little bit, get them involved early, may, knock down a few outside shots, maybe a, an Isaiah Roby dunk, and, and hope that kind of carries you. Because Copeland's been playing well. Yeah, I mean that's you, you just can't you know be at that ten minute mark and be down fifteen points because right. it, it's it'd be a late night then. But I, I think the crowd will be ready. Anton Gill played really well against Kansas last year, right? And that was kind of his – he had that good game and then he got injured. Yeah, I mean – Right after it. 
that that was kind of it for that game. But. Right. Well, no, I know it was a bad game and a bad result. But he's one of those guys that I've kind of, when I watched him this year, just kind of been waiting to see him. Because he looks more athletic this year than he did last year. Like, he, he looks ready to go. He's, I'm curious to see if he's going to have a moment where he's your, like, heat check scoring MVP coming off the bench. I think he can do something like no, that. No, I, I, he's definitely a guy, I think, who he makes one or two. He's going to be looking to make, you know, five or six. Big picture, though. I mean, I know if they lose to Kansas, there's going to be a lot of people who are like, see, you know, because it'll be two losses in a row, even though a lot of people predicted that anyway. But the Minnesota game to me was as important as any game oh, yeah. in that stretch because it gets you to one and one in the league. And as long as they don't have an incarnate word type meltdown in those next three games after Kansas, they should head out of it. What would they be 10 and five? So basically, they went nine and four in non-con. If they do that, one and one in the league, that's not a bad place to be heading out of into the new year. Yeah, because you'd basically have, and at that point would have played Kansas, Creighton, UCF. I mean, you've they had what you would say on the negative side is they've missed, they've definitely missed opportunities for wins that right. could, at least one extra win that would look good to a committee. Right, but. And that's why I kind of thought that Creighton game was yeah a tough one because on the road up eight in the second half in a tough Omaha environment. in a very tough Omaha environment those those fans were lathered up let me tell you the guy behind me was letting everybody have it <laughs> everybody I, amazingly I don't think I've ever seen a Nebraska Creighton game in in Omaha I should put that on my my bucket list of things to do. It's a tough crowd. It is a tough crowd. I mean, they had seventeen thousand there. They're uh, they they want blood against the team that they root for in football and volleyball. <laughs> I like I said, I know that there was a number of people who left that arena on their way to find the nearest bar to watch Nebraska Kentucky, and they weren't rooting for the team in blue. <laughs> well done. So, uh, all right. Anything we want to add here? Any team news? Any anything in that regard? Uh, well, Tennessee got a coach since the last time we podcasted. We all missed that one. Um, but well, who did they? They hired Jeremy Pruitt, right? They did. Yeah. I was saying somebody hired Chad Morris, <laughs> Guy Morris, Zach Morris. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. The, the, Chad Morris went to Arkansas. So I was close. You're close. Do you know what Chad Morris's career record is? It's not good. Is he even 500? It's like 10 and 21. <laughs> How do you solve that? Pony, pony tempo. No, I mean it could it could always be worse. He's right got now. a lot of national guys who really vouch for him, and that always helps those guys. I don't know if they should be vouching for him. I'm not saying that, but yeah, no, I mean it's the he, same as Ed Orgeron. Yeah, I know exactly all, why they vouch. He gets for all that love. Well, the national guys couldn't save Greg Schiano. He he had some he had some guys in that bucket brigade too. So as a regional guy, I was I was vouching for Greg Schiano. I think he's a good coach. I think it'd have been a better hire than Jeremy Pruitt, but. Whatever. Tennessee made their bed. They got Philip Fulmer. Everything's going to be great. Yep. Just perfect. So, Any predictions? You guys got anything? I predict that Nebraska will get a commitment from Adrian Martinez. How about that? That's all people really want. Yeah. That's why I was here. Took you How how many are they 50 good? minutes okay, to get there. Okay, here's a prediction. Give me the number on how many sign on December 20th. Just Yeah, that one's tough. Um 
couching it a little bit, I think they're in the 8 to 10 range. Which I think roughly half their class is going to sign on on uh, December 20th. That, that's my okay. guesstimation at this point. I'll say 9. I think that's split a, that. I'll split it. I'll say 10. Okay, so I'll, I'll just go with 8 and lock it in <laughs> and get the loss. 8 to 10. Yep. So, yeah, it, it's going to be, you know, we'll have another podcast before that, but it'll be a pretty interesting run here. I, I'm curious if coaches are going to like it, if they're going to hate it. I'll be curious if Frost talks after they put their, their first part of their class together um, or if he'll waive that opportunity until they have the whole thing. Um it's just going to be a unique setup with this December 20th thing. And and some of the kids I've talked to that said that they were going to sign are now pushing it back to February because they have some new teams in their ears that are like, hey, if you if you don't sign, we'll have you come in and visit in January. And I, I think there's going to be more of that than what people would have guessed. This whole thing as a trial run has been fascinating. We'll see how it plays out. It, it really will be, I think, interesting to see who does and does not sign because I, I – I'll be curious to see if some coaches basically say, like, okay, you're not signing now. You're not committed to us. And you're not signing in February. Yeah. I, I think you'll see some of that. Oh, yeah. No no doubt about it. You know where you can get those results of who signed and who hasn't? Where? Where, Mike? You can get them at Nebraska.247sports.com, where we have all of your latest recruiting news all throughout the early signing period, the late signing period, the dead period. We'll probably have some Scott Frost Orlando practice reports uh, to have up on the site. Certainly going to have a lot of uh, national guys stopping through. We've had a lot of the recruiting guys passing along information. It's been a busy time over at Nebraska.247sports.com. We've had a lot of new members sign up, and we appreciate you guys coming along for the ride. should be a lot of fun. Still plenty of room left in the, uh, the bandwagon as this thing careens off towards signing day, um, but a good time to check out what we've got going on. And as always, you can catch this podcast. We'll be back with you next week. Be plenty to discuss. Talk some more Nebraska basketball. Brunts is going to go uh, do a little square dancing over the weekend. We'll check with him as to how that all went. And uh, surely there will be a few more commitments along the way.